You're listening to the Poetry of Impact podcast, illuminating the unheard stories of today's top leaders in impact with your host, Gino Borges. Thanks for joining us again on the Poetry of Impact podcast. In today's episode, we welcome Kate Nevin, President and Portfolio Manager of TSWII, and Kate Horan, VC at HL Ventures and City Rock Venture Partners. These two impact investors share not only a first name, but also a passion for bringing diverse founders and portfolio managers to the forefront of the investment space. I want to give a quick shout out to Nexus, which is where I met Kate and Kate. Nexus fosters a community in which the next generation of investors is encouraged to invest, focusing on market rate returns with empathy, inspiration, and creativity. For more information, visit at nexusglobal.org. In this conversation, you'll hear how Kate and Kate started off with different backgrounds on different continents, yet ended up on parallel paths where they each found in the other the support that helped them level up and feel empowered to pursue their passions. They share their hopeful outlook about the changing landscape of diversity and investment and how they stay optimistic in a space where change can often seem glacially slow. We also dive into a deep discussion of work as identity and how we can avoid the inherent toxicity of this by bringing our whole selves to our careers. Kate H. shares an inspiring story about allowing our work to evolve as we age, and Kate N. offers a unique perspective born of coming to finance via creative writing. I think you'll truly be inspired by their approach to fostering diversity in the investment space, from their insights about unconscious biases to how data can create forward momentum. Ultimately, Kate N. and Kate H. beautifully demonstrate how when it comes to tackling the intractable problems of the world, we're stronger as a collective. And now, drop in and enjoy the conversation with Kate Nevin and Kate Horan. Well, welcome, Kate and Kate. Thank you. Great to be here. Thanks for having us. This is our first time having two Kates on the call at the same time, and so just so our listeners know who's talking. Obviously, for our listeners, they'll probably recognize that one of the voices sounded like they were from Australia. And so Ozzy Kate has agreed to go by Ozzy Kate. And uh, the other Kate is from uh, Charleston, South Carolina. So I feel really fortunate to have both Kates here. They both come via our connection through Nexus, which is a wonderful global community of uh, impact innovators and amongst many other things. And you guys also know each other really well, which I think is going to be really a rewarding experience here because you're going to have a chance to bounce each other or you know, bounce each other. No, you're not literally <laughs> bounce each other, but bounce ideas off each other. <laughs> you're, in, you're in New York and the other one's in South Carolina. It's going to be difficult. So, but I am looking forward to this idea of how you both got to impact. So with that in mind, maybe Ozzy, Kate, will you take us a little bit through that journey on what it was like when you went through that moment or came to that moment and realized this is a line of work that I'm meant to do at this period of my life. Absolutely. So I think I took a less traditional path into impact investing. I studied and graduated with a legal degree from university in Melbourne, Australia. And the first part of my career, I was a practicing corporate lawyer. And I loved it. And I thought I would be a lawyer forever. I thought I'd, it would be my lifelong career. Then around the third or fourth year, I started to really think 
is this what I want to do long term? And through that train of thought, I've thought about my values and how I bring those values into the practice of my everyday life. Most people work 2,000 hours a year times hopefully a 60, 70-year career, please God. That's a lot of hours. So I knew that I wanted to make them count and it started this whole line of thinking of what do I want to do? I'm someone who's deeply fueled by people and deeply fueled by connection. So I knew that I wanted to work closer with people and with impact and with purpose. So ultimately I decided I wanted to use my corporate and commercial background and work closer with people, innovation and impact. And so impact investing was the logical path that I decided I wanted to go down. I was lucky enough to get an offer from a venture capital firm in New York. And I remember this like it was yesterday. I was driving back from work. It must have been eight or nine o'clock at night. And I got the call from New York with the offer. And I called my dad straight away. And I said, Dad, I've just been offered a job in New York in impact investing. It's exactly what I want to do. It's where I feel really be fueled and my passion lies. But it's leaving the country, it's packing up, it's moving somewhere else, it's taking, you know, a significant hit to my salary. What do you think I should do? And the phone went quiet and I thought, oh, God. And he turned around and he said to me, Kate, you either stay comfortable or you back yourself. Mm. And it was that moment that for the first time I realised how important it is to follow your gut. Mm. I packed up my life, got a visa, and within three weeks, I was in impact investing in New York. I didn't exactly have the perfect experience or plan, but I knew this is what I wanted to do. And if I aligned my ambition, my professional and my personal, I was going to be the highest potency at work and I was going to have a fulfilling career that I got out of bed every day and absolutely loved doing. And so that was my foray from corporate lawyer, which I always thought I'd be, into impact investing. And I have to say what I love about Kate's story too that she didn't mention is that like really the risk you took to hop on a plane and come to the States and follow the stream. I just got in a car and drove up from the from you know North Carolina. Like I just I love I don't know just how big you went, right? And I think that's something that Kate and I connected on early on is just doing big things, right? Taking big steps. But I just feel like the start of your impact journey, Kate, Ozzy Kate, had so much to do with you taking a big, big step. Thank you so much. Very cool. Yeah. What was your journey like, Kate? I mean, in some ways, it's similar to Ozzy Kate's, a little bit of a winding journey that was really kind of informed by purpose. Ended up in New York as well, which I think is sort of the center of everything at some point for a lot of people and glad I made my way there. Originally, I had gone from work and consulting in DC up to New York, not to be in finance, but to actually be a writer. I didn't really know how that was going to happen. I don't know if I had the writing chops to survive on a starving artist. I don't know how that works in New York, but I'm sure I would have found a way. But I had a friend who encouraged me to interview on Wall Street. He said, you're smart. You did this stuff in college. Like, 
that job will pay your rent. And so I was like, all right. (laughs) (laughs) And I did. So that was kind of a weird left turn. But I ended up working at Lehman Brothers in the early 2000s and was really surprised at how interesting it was to me. I mean, I don't know that I would say I was passionate about it, but I was very interested in this space. And I think early on was also quite tickled by how important everyone seems to make Wall Street. It's really just smart people doing their job, right? So, you know, and that's every corner of the world, you'll find smart people doing their job, right? There's nothing, don't need to, you know, even demystify the whole Wall Street story. But I will say as a young 20 something, that was a pretty fun way to start my career. But, you know, I mean, people in New York, or my experience was really that people kind of become their job. You are your job. People say, you know, what do you do immediately upon meeting a new person at a cocktail party or at a bar in New York? What do you do? And so I was delighted to move to Charleston some years later. And I had someone tell me, oh, when somebody asks you, what do you do? You're supposed to go, what do I do about what? I love Charleston. Great. I'm going to steal that line. Exactly. What do I do about what? Because I didn't want to be defined by my job. Not that I didn't find it interesting. They're just at the start of it. There wasn't a lot of purpose or impact really in it. So I kind of began to fill that void by a lot of the community work I did in terms of environmental and social justice and really engaged with some creative organizations that work really at the community neighborhood level. And so for many years, I mean, probably upwards of a decade, kind of lived this bifurcated life. It didn't have like the chutzpah that Kate did to just be like, no, I'm going zeroing in on how I'm going to spend, you know, every hour the rest of my life. It took me a little while to realize that you could actually bring your whole self to work. And that in a lot of ways that if you do that, you kind of improve the outcomes of everything you touch, right? So I found that my work, my portfolio management, the research analysis, everything I was doing became a lot more enlightened when I started bringing my whole self to work. And I decided, you know, I don't just, I don't just, I'm not an advocate by the weekend, you know, activist and painting and planting urban gardens or whatever. And then, you know, showing up in a suit for the rest of the week, you can, you can do both at the same time. And so I think for my impact story, that moment when it all kind of collided, when those two orbits collided together, really five, to seven years ago was really transformative. And so I didn't change my career, but I changed the way I show up in my career. And I changed what was important to me about my daily job and how I could incorporate all the good things I've learned from community and activism and advocacy into portfolio management and investment research and that kind of stuff. So that's it. So I really like that whole notion of what do you do? I rephrase it because I'm really interested in what's occupying people. And Mm -hmm. if their work's occupying them, that's great. But if all of a sudden they experience a significant loss, that's obviously occupying you. Right. Someone taught me that years ago, and it's always been kind of a much more expansive way of inquiring about somebody's life. And the other thing that comes up for me is, is that you guys touched on two parts. It seems like we all started off in one-dimensional existences when it came to seemingly secular work. And you know, you were a practicing lawyer, Ozzy Kate. You were at Lehman Brothers, which was interesting, but yet it's still one-dimensional. It's very financial and financial only. And I too was trained in one-dimensional finance as well. I didn't last as long as you, Kate. I lasted about three months. <laughs> and 
I was literally falling asleep at the desk. <laughs> the thing is, what happened to me was that a gentleman came and tapped me on the shoulder, my boss at the time, and goes, you know, I don't think this is going to work out for you, Gino. And I go, I agree. I just don't know what else to do. And so it was at that point, I realized that there's got to be more to life than commerce for commerce sake. And then, of course, I overcompensated and went and got a PhD in philosophy, which is like totally antithetical to the world of finance, which is reductionist. The other one's all induction. And I, too, wanted the artist life and, and the creative life. And I tried to, just like Kate went and tried to explore life as a writer, I did that as well. But I think you guys both bring up something interesting that I've struggled with. And here I am halfway through my life. I realize that there's an enormous weight on identity that the weight puts on the body, the weight puts on the, or the identity puts on the psyche. So you mentioned that, for instance, you know, your job becomes kind of who you are. To me, that's just toxic. Uh, like right from the start. I mean, there is no, why would anybody want to carry that cross around all day long? Because if we have any introspection along the way, you can just feel the kind of life force having a just an ongoing micro suction going on in our body. And yet we kind of don't know what it is until that mask gets pulled off. And it sounds like, Kate, you pulled that mask off. Uh, Ozzy, Kate, you pulled that mask off and says, I'm heading to New York. And Kate, you pulled that mask off and said, I'm going to do my thing now my way. Can you kind of explore now? I'm actually speaking from somebody that I struggled with it. And, you know, you would think that I have all the choice in the world. I could have done anything. But yet I felt like the mask was often on my face or I felt compelled to have the mask Mm -hmm. on my face so that I can notice who I am. Mm -hmm. And there's such a great irony because I really didn't know who I was until I kind of created a little space between the mask and me. Mm -hmm. And so I'd love for you to kind of go into that Maybe you've had that moment, maybe you're currently having it, or is it kind of something that you keep close by to make sure you can be as authentic as possible in the work you're doing? Because when it gets smack dab on your face, you realize, and you go to bed with yourself at night and you realize, ah, something's off here or not in alignment. So I'd just love to hear more about how you guys kind of navigate and migrate with identities. Sure, I'll take a first stab. I mean, I think the first thing that comes to mind just in the context of kind of misalignment often sometimes with our career choice or the or the sort of the one dimensional aspect you spoke to. I remember when I did finally end up, you know, I thought I would be this famous writer, did end up as an analyst at Lehman Brothers and all the guys I worked with said, you know, now that you're here, don't you wish you'd taken like economics and statistics and all that stuff in college? And I was like, of course not. I'm here. I'm doing the work you're doing. I got here with a creative writing degree, right? An American <laughs> study degree. So, so I've always felt like I liked a little bit that I didn't have a straight path into finance. Like I do enjoy finance, but I like that I kind of came to it totally accidentally because I didn't have, I did feel a lot awkward sometimes in that suit, right? But it didn't feel like the mask thing, maybe that you're alluding to, Gino. Like it, it felt like I'm glad that I have this sort of empathy and and real, you know, I can write and I read really deeply and I kind of connect with that sort of philosophical piece you spoke about a, a few minutes ago too. I was appreciative that I was already kind of in this more empathetic, more curious state before I got to Wall Street with this sort of one dimensional, like I just did business school and came here, right? So 
And maybe that's part of why I was always feeling like a little bit itchy in the suit. Maybe this is an be <laughs> wearing, I don't know. But I appreciate that we kind of need to focus on bringing our whole selves, right? Whether it's there's a little bit of a mask or not, or we recognize sometimes we're in the mask, sometimes I'm not. I do think it's an interesting, and maybe Ozzy Kate, she's obviously kind of had lots of different hats too. Like it feels like when we admit and are aware that we're these multidimensional people, things are just better that way, right? Yeah. And less neurotic. (laughs) (laughs) It's a really interesting question, and I'm mulling this over in my head as to how I even begin to answer this because it's definitely something I have struggled with and I currently struggle with. There's the age-old saying, there are people who live to work or work to live, and I think I definitely previously and currently fall in the live to work bucket and that is not always healthy at times whatsoever and it's a constant discussion in my own mind and out loud as to finding balance but I think part of the reason that I made the career changes because work is a big part of my life and so the career change was partly driven by okay if work is going to be a fundamental element of your life What can you do where your personal and professional are intertwined so you're enjoying what you're doing every day and therefore it's not as toxic as working really long hours for something you're not committed to for the sake of working? And because I identified early on that people are what drive me and purpose, being able to put that into my profession has really helped me find more balance in life. And I think I also partly had good, luckily had good role models for parents who I saw both change careers and say, we want to be in something that we jump out of bed every day. And I think that's a privilege to be able to say that, but they made it happen for themselves. And my mum went from being a teacher at the age of 55, instead of retiring, she went back and she got a master's in social work because she wanted to be able to give back to the community. And every charity and organization she went to basically slammed the door in her face and said, you can't do much because you're not qualified. So she said, okay, I'll go and get qualified. And she's now, for the past 15, 17 years, become a leading expert in domestic violence and child protection. And it's been incredible in my later years to see her put her purpose in life into her profession. And I think that takes away a lot of the toxicity that we often find in having our work as our identity. Mm, I love that, Kate. I also love thinking like we don't have to know what our career is at age 25 or 35 or 55, right? I love thinking about all these different chapters we can have as we begin to put the pieces together and really kind of follow our heart and our passions. It's I love that story about your mom. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's very inspiring. And, you know, she's in her later part of life and she's more motivated by what she does than ever before. So I also like the concept of you don't have to be stagnant. It can be ever evolving. Ozzy, Kate, you've mentioned a couple of times that people drive you. Can you expand on that, on what that means to you? Yeah, it's a good question, Gina. I get a lot of fulfillment out of sitting down and having a chat, out of (laughs) talking to diverse minds, diverse thinkers, friends, family members, strangers. And some people are driven by numbers and Excel or marketing, advertising, whatever, sport, whatever it may be. Where I feel most calm and 
inspired is talking to different people. I know that could sound very cliche to your listeners, but I've done a lot of work to think about what fills me up and and that does. My my perfect Saturday or Sunday afternoon would be sitting at a cafe having a chat over either a coffee or a glass of wine. I'll agree with that. I'll say it was so fun when Kate and I first connected over Nexus and then I happened to be in New York, but it was just a Zoom or two. I mean, it hadn't been still very much like the virtual world we were living in with our forum group and we went and had a glass of wine. So I can attest to the fact that Kate is absolutely lovely in person over a glass of wine. (laughs) (laughs) That was when we were strangers no more. It was was. a glass of wine and a nice rooftop never went astray. Exactly. So I'm curious about where have you guys kind of found your similar alignment when it does come to your work? And is that also where you're finding most aliveness as well right now in terms of are are you guys connecting around what's most alive in you currently for both of your projects? Yeah, I mean, I think so. We were aligned in in many ways sort of through the uh, forum group and shared connections, but like really where I think it clicked for us was this commitment to diversity and diverse thinking and gender lens investing. And as clearly as two women who have made the decision to move through the financial world as, you know, portfolio management, asset allocators, funders, what have you, whatever bucket you want to put us in, recognizing that there's also some leverage that we have when we sit in that seat, right? As we work with venture firms or hedge funds and the portfolio management of being an allocator and having the ability to make decisions based on talent, right? I mean, really spending time promoting talent, diverse thinking, diverse ways of approaching really intractable problems, really creative, collaborative groups of people, I think we both really hit upon, wow, like that is what's so important to us, like in this greater sort of financial endeavor is really bringing those voices up to be more exposed, have more impact, really paying attention to, as Kate said, like is sitting down with someone and understanding how they think why they think that, how that impacts how they might develop a product differently than somebody else, right? So we really recognize that in our individual ways with our sort of windy career paths have led us to the moment where the next part of our lives is really built around bringing those diverse founders, portfolio managers, investors, all the diverse thinking that's happening in the in the space, really bringing that into the forefront, sharing our networks and collaborating. You know, I think when I started at Lehman Brothers 20 years ago, it was like a lot of elbows out because there were maybe like one or two women on the team. I was lucky though. The analyst I worked with was a lovely woman. We got along famously, but you know, there wasn't always that support system, right? It was kind of like, ah, there might only be one seat for one woman. And now I don't know. It just feels like there's so much more collaboration and Kate just like instantly, Kate and I instantly linked arms and we're like, whoa, like we could do so much more together if we're sharing our networks, our ideas, I asked Kate to be on my advisory committee and, you know, we just, it's like, I think we're just at the beginning of really leveraging our individual talents and networks and communities in in sort of new ways to really bring what I hope will be a big shift in what this financial industry looks like in terms of 
diversity. I could not have said it better than Kate has said it. We're stronger as a collective. In particular, how's it relevant to what you're working on, Ozzy Kate? Yeah, absolutely. So I work in impact investing in the venture capital space. We invest in companies at the nexus of growth, impact, and diversity. And we, we seek out companies that are operating in the space of protecting or promoting people or the planet with a strong preference for diverse founding teams. And it's that diverse founding teams piece that I think Kate and I both really linked arms over and see the importance of in business, in the financial world at large, and in the fund space. Mm-hmm. Couldn't be more excited to be working alongside and linking arms together with Kate, who I look to as an absolute pioneer in this space and think she's doing remarkable things with her work. So as she said, when society at large are all working together, I think we're going to see great diversity in the space. And I think if, you know everyone's on the same page that diversity breeds better business and is good for everyone's bottom line. Mm-hmm. How do you pitch, or maybe it's not even a pitch, but I mean, how do you communicate that it's better? Let's say you're talking to a very legacy-based mentality that's focused on outcomes and profits, and you suggest that it's a better outcome. How is that? Mm-hmm. How do you communicate to a legacy thinker? It doesn't always land well, Gina. I mean, I and I feel like I have a little bit more patience or empathy towards people that struggle with understanding that sometimes because I came from a very traditional finance background, right? And so really the journey to this, really to I think what the return proposition is, right? So I think in, in the very traditional world, you know, it all kind of goes back to the risk reward proposition and sort of what your expected return is. And you really want to tie it all back to numbers and data. So I realized it shouldn't be about waving a flag for this or that. I want the investment to stand on its own, right? It's not an investment for diversity's sake. It's because this is a really smart investment and I'm expecting a good return. I think this team is remarkable. And I think what they're doing is unique and differentiated from other funds I'm seeing. So I really started to lean into as much as I wanted to say, hey, more impact oriented investments. At the end of the day, I think for that sort of traditional, for the less friction, I think with the more traditional mindset is to really say, hey, this isn't charity. This is actually a real robust and rock solid investment memo. For uh, you know, a fund manager that I think is going to do really well over the next 10, 20, 30 years. And so I think a little bit of really how I've navigated this space, having one foot really in both worlds for so long, was that it just it has to be sort of at the intersection of what everyone thinks is important, right? So it's kind of like trying to find that Venn diagram where everyone gets down to that the most reductive piece of that collaborative bit, right? The dark space that's got the performance and the diverse team and the broader impact and whether it's climate or education or future of work or all these, you know, really exciting, I think, elements we have. Learning how language can be so important in that and how presentation can be so important in that really to, to build like a big tent. You can't sort of be judgy or leave anybody out. I think it's it's really about kind of creating more pie with this idea that if we're in alignment on 
on performance and good investments, then diverse teams tend to be good investments and, and an impact tends to be a good investment. So, you know, really trying to use the traditional framework to move the needle is sort of how I've done it. Completely agree with everything Kate said. And I think everyone comes from different perspectives and there may just be some people who will not believe in the empirical research that's been done on this topic and the fact that diversity makes better business and leads to sustainable and high growth companies. I don't have much more to add to what Kate said because I agree with her. I just think that the hope is that diversity is not seen as a nice to have for optics and to tick the box, but it's actually seen as a responsible investment strategy amongst boards and investment committees and allocators. And when it's actually seen as a responsible investment strategy, that's when I think the psyche changes because you can't afford not to have it. So where are we at? Um, maybe not everybody's a baseball fan here, but I mean, w- where are we at in innings in terms of this this evolution? Are we in the first inning, fifth inning of a nine-inning game? Just- and, you know, I don't know. We Kate and I talk about that a lot, actually. I mean, I think about that quite a bit because I think for an industry that really prides itself on data, as Kate just alluded to, like the empirical research. There's so many studies across venture, hedge funds, managed assets that show over and over again, diverse teams have better outcomes, right? Whether it's at the company level, the board level, fund management level. I really struggle a little bit with like, what's the hesitation? Why of the $69 trillion in managed assets globally, why is 1.4%, only 1.4% of that managed by women or minority-owned groups, right? That is so tiny. That's minuscule. That's like a rounding error. So if we know the data shows over and over again that you have stronger risk management, higher returns, you know, more thoughtful products, more connections with the end user with diverse teams, I'm still trying to figure out what's the hesitation. So, I mean, I would say we're still in the dugout and it's like we might be waiting for someone to hit a home run and that's just not how it's going to work. Like it is going to just be hits on base. It's going to be, and I think Kate and I do think a little bit about like, so how do we compress the timeline, right? If we really want to move the needle, what innovative actions, what disruptive change has to happen so that we're not really just, you know, hanging out in in the dugout and hoping for a grounder to first. I don't know if I'm even using baseball metaphors. (laughs) For an Aussie, it sounds like they're perfectly spot on. So you hit the home run. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, the great irony here is that before we jumped on the call, I mentioned some, you know, some some suggestions and not doing any inside baseball talk. And I'm the one that ended up using the baseball metaphor. But well, yeah, go ahead. It goes to like the big thing that we just all have to kind of agree on is we all have biases. We just do. And it's, you know, in all walks of life, it's it's sort of like part of our DNA, right? How we grew up, what we learned in our work, in our family. And like, they're all there, good or bad. And I just, I almost feel like before we can really see exponential change and move that 1.4% number to 5, 10, 15, is just for everyone to kind of go, all right, you're right. 
we're not looking at the data. So what do we need to do? How do we need to level up here? And I think that's just kind of this awareness that we're playing with too many like-minded people all the time, right? We need to diversify the teams. We need to broaden our outreach, our networks are really intentionally too, because I don't think, I don't think any of this is going to happen by accident or because, you know, there's one more woman on your team. Like that's a lot of pressure for that one woman or that one sort of different looking voice, different looking team member. You know, it's really going to be an intentional focus of awareness, I think, really to get us to shift big time. Absolutely. I think over the past couple of years, there's been a lot of intentionality from LPs and institutions to setting aside specific allocations to invest in female and diverse managed funds and emerging managers, which I think is fantastic. But we need this momentum to continue to see real change. And it's wonderful that these allocations are being put in place and people are talking about them and there's awareness about it. But there's a subtle nuance in that, that you think I'm going to fund a female manager, therefore they're going to fund female businesses, entrepreneurs. And that's great, but it almost, there's an embedded assumption like that's enough to take care of the inequities and in the workplace or in finance, but it's really, it doesn't let the rest of the industry off the hook. It has to be an industry decided change. And it can be small things from changing governance structures to embedding more people on investment committees or looking at diverse talent pools. There are a whole number of ways that we can help create this change that we're wanting to see. How do you, both of you, the way I have just heard it suggests that it's still a long ways to go and there's just a dribble here and there that kind of happens and then it adds and accumulates to 1.4% if that's the metric we're using. But you as an individual, when you guys get up and on a day-to-day basis, when like life's really about a bunch of little micro actions throughout the day and responding to life, and we can either respond or react, we can interpret them as moments forward, we can say it's a big disappointment. It's like, in a lot of ways, it's one big hermeneutic adventure in the sense that we're just kind of interpreting things along the way. And you can, if you interpret it as like, oh, this is all going to shit, even though I'm giving a, doing my best, you know, you feel that way. Or you're like, you could say it's like, wow, I can't even believe we actually even got this. This is incredible, given all the magnitude of the weight against us. How are you kind of keeping score so you can not just stay sane, but joyful and experience your life force in a reality that, because I know, Kate, I believe that you have children, right? You have three children. and. Ozzy, Kate, do you have children as well? No. Okay. So the point being is regardless, we have people that are close to us that we love, that we obviously don't want to bring everything to them in terms of frustration. I mean, there's kind of boundaries and lines that that we try to keep. And I mean, you guys are pushing up against a headwind, even though in our bubble, this all seems commonsensical. In a more secular global bubble, when you take all eight plus billion people on earth and the dominant ideology on earth. It's still it's still a headwind. So I'm just really curious what you could do on a day to day basis to kind of stay centered, you know, while doing your work, yeah. or maybe not. Perhaps maybe you don't stay centered. <laughs> Getting my head against the wall, Gino. I'm going to stop. For- <laughs> no, 
make a good point. And I will say for me, it's like finding other Kates, like Aussie Kate, right? Kate squared, right? We just exponentially increased our value to this effort, right? That we're making. And it's going to take Geno's and it's going to take, you know, all other kinds of folks to get involved. And, and I will say, I have noticed a shift in my person since I really kind of began this really this intentional path of of really trying to do the work and impact in this space, right? To shift some of these assets to diversity. Like I sleep better. I feel better. Like I'm kind of psyched to see my daughter grow up in this world, right? Like I, I don't feel, yes, there are lots of headwinds, but I feel like when you put that sort of intention and awareness and build that community around it, good, bad. Like it's not like Kate and I don't have frustrations we share with each other, but when you build that community around what you're trying to do, you know, it makes the days where you take two steps forward feel amazing. And then of course you're going to have three steps back one day, but it's ultimately like building the village, right? I just feel like, I kind of feel like people are, are slowly joining the whole effort, right? The movement forward. And, you know, it's going to take all of us in like every capacity, but I think in terms of just the diversity piece, it's like we, there's so much intersectionality there with women and girls and climate change and reduction in in gender-based violence and education improvements and the money that gets reinvested into communities. And I mean, it's like, there are all these knock-on effects when we just kind of start doing one good thing here and there and there, but with the intention that we're doing the best we can on that particular deck, not to say they're all wins, but so far so good. (laughs) Fair enough. Completely agree with that. I think any change in any facet of life, whether that's personal or professional or societal is hard. And so the most we can do is chip away and every little chip counts. And I think that's what people like Kate Nevin and myself and a whole lot of other incredible women throughout America and the world are doing in a educative, informative, fact-based way. The more we chip together, the greater it will be and the quicker we'll see change. And then, Gino, I just walk the length of New York. That's what I do to stay sane. I get my sneakers on and I just walk. That's my sanity. That's my meditation on the bad days. People that tell me who live in New York or my friends who live in New York tell me a secret to love in New York is making sure you know how to get out in New York. So perhaps your shoes take you to the outer edge so you can feel like you're on the outside. Exactly right. That's You know what? They're not far off. That's true. So are there any areas after you guys have gotten to know each other where you like don't understand each other or where you realize that either it can be in the form of a personality or the work? It's like, yeah, yeah we're doing all this stuff, but Kate's also doing this and I just don't understand this. Or do you actually see some of these issues differently a little bit as you talk about them? It's like, no, my experience is a little different here on on the diversity side. It's like, and then whereas yours, yeah, I'm just not seeing that on mine. So I'm curious on where you guys have kind of evolved to where is there any space that you guys are currently kind of exploring where the experiences are different and where there's a little bit of a mismatch? I don't know that there's any mismatch that I've picked up on yet, but I will say, I think, you know, maybe we both were a bit timid in certain ways that we would approach things and maybe we needed really each other's 
support to like next level or level up. Like, and I think that might be the case with a lot of women in our seats. And there are many women like Kate and myself all over this country and this world. And then when you find that person that makes you feel a little bit more empowered. Kate and I are very aligned, I think, on how we see the world and we've got to know each other on quite a deep level and both had different lived experiences, but have ended up really at a very similar point. Kate's obviously got extraordinary and far more experience than I do in the finance world, but I look up to her and I learn a lot from the way that she not only handles herself in work and as a professional and as president of an incredible firm, but how she manages that together with her family life and being an amazing mother and balance. The balance that sorry Kate, I'm gonna brag about you a little bit here, but the balance Kate has in her life and has also taught a lot of these people in the Nexus community that we're a part of, whether that's inserting meditation or following your passion and going surfing and have including your family in that and surfing as a family or spending two or three weeks at a cabin with no internet in the middle of nowhere. She, from the outlook, has got a lot of balance and a lot of rights in the world that she's created herself. So that's something that I look up to her for. And I guess that could be a difference because I don't think I have as much balance or holistic outlook. So it's definitely something I'm hoping rubs off on me. Thank you. Well, I can just speak, Ozzy, Kate. I'm guessing that Kate Nevin's a little bit older than you. And so am I. I'm probably more in Kate's range. The beauty of it is, is that, or perhaps maybe it's not beauty, but it actually just comes through a function of time and awareness around seeking what what makes you feel most alive and, and most resonant in life. And a lot of it's just a function of being on earth for a period of time and being through enough cycles and just a little bit of suffering along the way, at least in my case, I'll just speak for my own self. It's interesting what moments of suffering do where like my body wouldn't do certain things. And I was like, I have to listen to what's going on here. Then that too becomes where I go seek practices that bring me in a little bit more of centered and And obviously, I mean, children have a whole dimension of being able to sort of like force you in the ways that you couldn't probably do yourself as I couldn't do myself, like being in the moment, for instance. So, I mean, it's kind of beautiful to see kind of the nexus also almost kind of a generational moment here as well. There's enough going on. I know when nexus started, everybody was a lot younger, but now everybody's who's first started with nexus is a little bit older, like 10, 12 years older. And now also people that are 20 are starting to get up into their 30s. And so it's interesting to kind of see all this coming out live and and through emergence. And with that said, a lot was shared today. And I want to give you a chance to, was there anything that was left unexpressed that you feel you'd want to share with the audience before we leave? It can be about yourself. It can be about anything, actually. But I, I just want to make sure something wasn't spinning around there saying, I want some attention. I guess I would just say, you know, I think hopefully anyone listening to this podcast feels as passionate as Kate and I do about the opportunity for change and this inflection point where we are. And I think anyone listening has a point of leverage in which they could affect change, right, in their work or their life or their family, or, you know, sometimes it's asking hard questions or doing an audit of who's managing your money or thinking about really bright women that you want to support and link arms with. Like there's so many little ways, I think, to move this conversation around diversity and 
in particular gender lens diversity forward. I don't want it to stop when people stop listening to our conversation on your podcast. I hope it continues because I love talking about this. I mean, Kate and I could sit around with you for two more hours and pull up the threads on this. So I don't know. Asking if we missed anything is, is a bad question right now, Gino, because it might lead us into another hour and a half of a conversation. There you go. For sure. But before you go into that hour, additional hour, and before we jump over to Ozzy, Kate, uh, Kate and Evan, where could people learn a little bit more about your work if people wanted to learn a little bit more about you? Sure. I keep a pretty low profile. I'm not on any social media, but I did. I was forced to join LinkedIn about a year ago, so I'm there. So I would be happy for people to find me there. And that's probably the easiest way to connect. And I'm pretty responsive. So Kate and Evan on LinkedIn can find me there. Great. And we'll have those in the show notes. And before we leave, Ozzy, Kate, any unexpressed thoughts? I think I'm excited by where we are and what we can achieve in the next 5, 10, 15 years. And I think there's a lot to be achieved, but meeting people like Kate and yourself, Gino, it's energizing to know that there are people who want to. And my hope is that in the next decade's time, impact and diversity funds and not outliers, but that's built into as a foundational principle of asset management and responsible investing. So that would be the note I leave you guys on that. I think if we're heading in that direction, we're heading for some good things. Love it. And where could people learn more about the work you're doing? So at h-l.vc, which is the Hutsi Memos Libby and City Rock Venture Partners firm website. And then also at the Female Athlete Project, which you can Google, which is an amazing organization out of Australia that's the fastest growing women in sport platform in Australasia. Kate and Kate, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your story. Thanks for having us, Gino. It was fun. Thank you so much. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening in to today's conversation on the poetry of impact. The podcast exists for and because of listeners like you. Be sure to subscribe to the Poetry of Impact podcast on your favorite podcast player. And if you have time, leave us a review. Thanks again and goodbye for now. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Poetry of Impact podcast. For show notes and additional resources, visit poetryofimpact.com.